0: Hi there, and welcome to VendorWag with me, Mike Laverick. Ah, you thought it was going away, or has it actually returned in disguise? Yes, so I am now with VMware, as you all know. But there are occasionally uh, relationships that crop up between VMware and uh, our partners where I can I can work together to sort of flag up things that are happening in the industry, which you know comes from outside of VMware, but has a big impact on People using our technologies and using VMware technologies, and for that reason, I'm I'm speaking today with uh, Violin uh, Memory. Uh, with me on the line, I've got Vina uh who represents violin, violin Memory, and we've been doing some uh, work together around uh, IOPS. So uh, you might notice on some of the blogs, both on my blog and also on the VMware.com blogs, uh, smashing through the the one million IOPS per per virtual machine. So we sort of want to peel back uh, the the Camille a little bit and, and sort of explain how that was achieved. But uh, before I do that, uh, Vinay, can you introduce yourself to people listening in and, and watching the video?
1: Thanks, uh, thanks, Mike. Thanks for uh, inviting us for this session. Uh, my name is Vinay Gankar. I'm a director of product management um, at Violin, uh, looking especially at virtualization. How Violin Flash Memory can be adopted in in in, uh, in virtualization space. Just give me a give you a background about me. I'm here about uh, seven months now at Violin Memory. Before that, I worked at VMware too uh, for about uh, you know three years. So I do understand uh, what it takes to you know uh, deploy a virtualization using VMware and big f- fan of VMware uh, uh, you know solutions out there.
0: So how long's uh, Violin been going for? I mean, uh, what's the DNA of the company? Where where do you guys come from? I know you. Family from VMware, but uh, I guess a whole series of different people from the industry have sort of come together to found the company.
1: Absolutely. So, while uh, in memory was started in back in 2005 um, as a DRAM appliance, uh, it was DRAM cache appliance. So the whole story about that is, um, you know, providing a cache appliance at a very low latency IO IO access. Um, Since then we have transformed ourselves to a flash storage company but still keep the same technology or DNA that was originally built the technology. Um, uh, It is now currently headed by Don Basile who was uh, CEO of Fusion IO Um, and then we have people from traditional storage companies like uh, NetApp, EMC. And also, virtualization specialists like me and others coming from VMware. So, it's an interesting place uh, which, which, which has some application side of uh, skill set and also storage skill set, which is actually uh, the interesting part of uh, uh, being in this flash revolution. Um, it's not just about storage, it's about applications as well.
0: Sure. I think what's interesting is, you know, VMware is a relatively new company or was when I first came into to looking at VMware, but how much uh, people who were formerly part of VMware are now moving out of VMware and influencing the in- industry and then that's coming back into VMware. Sometimes it's an acquisition, sometimes it's a, a, a partnership. But uh, I, I guess it's this kind of evolution that VMware is going through as a kind of industry influencer now in a way that I guess when I first looked at virtualization, I never really thought of it that way. You know, VMware was this little company that did virtualization. Now it's sort of having this influence on the rest of the industry, which um, I guess I never really thought that that would happen uh, all that time ago.
1: Yep, absolutely. So quickly on that, uh, so I've seen VMware from inside out. Now I'm having, you know, a great opportunity to see it, you know, from outside in. The amount of uh, you know influence VMware has in terms of um, all the infrastructure-wise, for example, people create infrastructure for VMware, right? I mean, that's kind of influence. Uh, you know, this is going back to maybe you know a few decades ago. That's that's what Microsoft had in terms of you know the ecosystem, ecosystem influence in terms of creating solutions for Microsoft. Now uh, it's about creating you know solutions across the board, you know, networking. Your servers or you know storage for VMware you know deployment, uh, and, and that's huge.
0: Okay, well, I mean, I guess we could talk all day about these big industry uh, trends, but let's get into the meat and potatoes of what's being done. Um, I think the opening part of this will, uh, if if Vina drives the presentation, there'll be some stuff that I can sort of pass on. And then, uh, sort of the middle part and onwards, we'll be looking in, in a bit more detail about what you know, a violin memory does, how actually the system works. So, um, let, I'll let you take this slide, lead on this slide, even though we've got both company logos on it. I'll, I'll bow to your uh, to your uh, your presentation skills.
1: Thanks, <laughs> thanks a lot. I will take that. Um, so, okay, this is this is uh, this is actually about VMware, more so about violin memory. Um, you know, back in, you know, ESX 2X, um, we were talking about, you know, one vCPU or, or two c- vCPU per VM. Um, obviously, you know, there was some he- hesitation in terms of what kind of applica- application you want to virtualize. Now, look at this slide, where we have come from and where we are. We're talking about 64 vCPU, um, and that's a gigantic VM to me. Um, look at the memory that we, we we are we are we are now supporting on, on 5. 1. and vSphere 5.1. Now just between vSphere 4 and 5.1, it's about f- more than 4x, 4x you know, improvement. That's huge. That's huge because virtualization is not now just you know not 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 part of you know your lab environment or your you know some some kind of uh you know specific use case. It's about um How do you make your IT simpler by virtualizing everything you have? And these improvements actually speak themselves in terms of what you can virtualize. Um, so and like you are highlighting, what's highlighted in the red circle there is now you can achieve this one million IOS per VM.
0: But but only if you use a special product that's called vSphere. <laughs> Have you noticed <laughs> we've got the uh, the vSphere bit the other way around? We're not inventing new products here to achieve this. It is vSphere itself. But yeah, I guess the term that we would use is the monster VM. That's been the catchphrase for the last year or two, as as the scalability of the virtual machine is smashed through. You know. Anything like what we what we had in previous releases?
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: So let's have a look at a bit more detail of of what's being done. Um, there was there was two sort of separate announcements uh, about this, uh, kind of towards the back end of last year. And there's been some new work done recently, and it's that new work that I want to focus on in this particular part of the the session. But uh, we have smashed through the one million IOPS, and that was actually done. Ooh, probably around October time, I think it was, maybe even earlier than that with vSphere 5.1. But what's been looked at even more recently is uh, trying to um, smash through some myths about the difference between using, say, RDMs and using uh, BMFS Volumes. So uh, if you can uh, hit the space bar for me, I, I, let's have a look at a bit more detail on, on what's been done in that particular respect. So um, yeah, as uh, was uh, mentioned already, the, the IOPS testing that we've done, um, the spec of the, of the kit that was used in turning at VMware, uh, HP DL38, uh, 80s uh, generation 8, uh, Intel all the way through, 256 gigabytes of memory. Critically it's the storage layer that really matters when it, when it comes to sort of this sort of stuff, um, the Q-Logic cards that we've got there. And then the specification, as you were saying, uh, quite a beefy uh, virtual machine, an eight-way VCPU virtual machine with 48 gigabytes of, of memory. And, and really hammering it with uh, the iMeter tools, both with uh, read and write IO, and trying to profile and separate out the differences between you know what type of uh, uh, workloads that you can have. So I think we have some charts coming up that sort of illustrate that. Um, so the first one, Random reads IOs, so, I mean, as somebody who's been involved in VMware for a long time, I know it's a myth that RDMs uh, outperform VMFS. Um, The joke I used to always make as an instructor is the term RDM, raw device mapping, was perhaps a little bit injudicious because people look at the word raw and they think it's raw for performance. And uh, I used to say jokingly, we should really call these native device mappings. Because rather than having a a volume with VMFS and a VMDK, what you're doing is offering up to the VM just access to the same volume on the array. You're not, you're not doing really anything that different. And I used to say to students, if you think where the bottleneck is is in the file system and in a VMDK, which is a flat file on that file system, then you're really looking in the wrong place for where your bottlenecks are. I mean, I, I guess that's going back to spinning disk. You would look at raid levels or the number of spindles backing a volume if you were trying to find out where the performance difference was but I, I think it became a quite strong myth in the community that somehow raw device mappings were better than vmfs mainly because of the name and the way that they sort of looked at it so i mean if you look at the chart you can see the the iops that happen between uh, an rdm and a vmdk on a vmfs volume are in the range of 1%. In other words, they're probably within the range of testing errors, I think. You know, when you have like sort of any market research, they always say the market research that you're doing is within 1% or 2 or 3% of, of errors. There's always experimental error that could come into any system. And I think a 1% difference is probably neither here nor there. There is a tailing off, obviously, uh, on the block size uh, around the 4K block size. But I, I imagine if customers look at the the profile of the storage they have and then tune their block size appropriately to what they're doing, they can mitigate that even even further uh, even further. But this is, is this is meant to be a drag race, a like for like comparison without tweaking to benefit <laughs> one method over another to try and make one look faster. It's really like for like comparison. And what we're really saying is is that there's 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 no difference. Um, and I guess that's, that's one pro, uh, kind of profile of I.O., you know, if, if it's read. I think where this really comes out even more interesting is when you look at the, the rhymes. That was well-timed, that transition on the spacebar. Yeah. <laughs> he is uh, powering the uh, presentation because he's doing most of the prezzo, but uh, he knew just at the right time to hit the spacebar. So, Mike, you can hire me for, uh, you know,
1: <laughs> presentation next time around.
0: Yeah, this is the man who's going to express the space bar while Mike does the talking. So in this particular case, even less of a deviation where you've got random writes, which I mean, I would have thought given the amount of caching that's available on a lot of disk spinning disk space systems, you know, at the head of the disks, if you've got a read intensive environment, you know, the, it's going to do an awful lot in terms of cache. But when it becomes to write, that a lot of uh, disk-based systems, the the cache is read-only, it's not write as well, and therefore it has to go down to disk to achieve it. So uh, this is a kind of uh, random IO, You know, 60% reads, 40% writes, same block size, but look at the kind of deviation where you you practically can't see any deviation. Now why do I think this is important? RDMs are quite difficult to set up. You have to create LUNs at the storage array, and then present them to all your ESX hosts. And if you're living in the world of vCloud director like I am right now, that RDM is just not visible. And from a provisioning perspective, if you want to take a collection of virtual machines that make up a vApp and quickly clone them, if there's an RDM there, what are you going to clone? Uh, The LUN? Do you then have to orchestrate down to the storage array? Uh, Oh, I need a LUN for this particular vApp. It's just not going to happen. So the VMDK and the encapsulation that you get from a virtual disk is pretty critical for this kind of automation that we want to do, where we want to spin up new nodes within a V-app or deploy a new application, destroy a new application, and trying to get away from the physical world, which is essentially what an RDM does. It points you at the array at a physical level, straight down the whatever the, you know, whether it's iSCSI or whether it's a uh, fiber channel, is part of that process of, Yes, I'm going to say the software-defined data center. In about two years' time, people will be sick of me saying this, but right now it's still a fresh thing to say. But it is part of that agenda, trying to virtualize everything, and that means trying to get away from some of the practices that maybe we were doing, I don't know, back in the vSphere four days or even in VI three days when these RDMs were probably more common and more popular. I mean, what do you think of that, Vina? Am I saying something that's out of turn?
1: Absolutely, having worked on uh, VMFS myself for about three years, uh, this is amazing. We all know that at VMware, when I was in VMware, that um, you know VMFS is is the way to go, right? In terms of virtualizing, um, for whatever the myths were, you know, RDM was uh, was being used typically for virtualizing, you know, databases, right? Now with this with this uh, you know test, I think it becomes very clear that. There is no myth. VMFS can actually, you know, perform, um, you know, same as RDM. Now the, the big point about that is now you can actually enjoy all the all the interesting in um, you know, advantage, advantages of virtualization, right? For your, for example, databases or any kind of workload that need, you know, the IOPS or the performance characteristics. Um, that they get in the physical world, but you can get in in, 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 in virtual world. And the question is, why not you virtualize, right? Um, and that was the case all the time. But I think these tests actually show that very clearly um, that, that, is, that that is the case. Sure.
0: So. I mean, I don't want to beat up on RDMs. Um, I used to say when I was an instructor back in sort of 2004, 2005, there are some use cases for RDMs. You I mean if you've got a large quantity of data that exists on the, on the array, and you were migrating a physical server to a virtual machine. Having to try and get all that existing data into a VMDK, some people might, as an intermediary step, use an RDM. And of course, some of the clustering configurations, like Microsoft clustering, where you're using a quorum disk and so on, well, they required an RDM if it was trying to speak to another a physical node and a virtual node. But in my experience, the main piece reason that people used RDMs was more to do with politics, that, you know, um, they were scared of VMFS and they were scared of VMDK. Um, the, the idea of a virtual disk was something that was a bit foreign to them, but the idea of taking a virtual machine and just pointing at the array seemed to be somehow more uh, acceptable to them. But a lot of the time it was it was politics, as it always is in our industry, rather than a technical <laughs> reason. The politics got, got hold, and then this kind of myth of RDMs are faster than VMDK sort of took root. And we have people like Eric Schleif to to thank for running uh, myth-busting sessions at at VMworld. And I think he had one of these RDM versus VMFS as as one of the the uh, myth-busting ones on 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 his list. I think I have one more slide that I need to speak on. So presenter, hit the space bar well actually i it kind of brings to a close I think I thought I had one more slide, but it brings to a close my end of this, but actually it does sort of raise a question that I want to sort of put to Vina, and we'll we'll hand over at this point uh, unfortunately, I can't press the space bar. that's you know I'm not that technical <laughs> but it, it's um it's an observation I've had by looking at this space for a while when I was an independent that you often find that uh vendors uh in this particular uh field compare their array to um spinning disc and say you know aren't we faster than spinning disc and the joke i've always said is like i do understand basic physics that once you take the the spindle out of the equation and its solid state it is going to be be faster and is it a fair comparison you know shouldn't you compare yourself to the other vendors that are all solid state or solid at the front and, and maybe uh cold blocks being brought down to starter at the back so, I mean, it's a bit of a, a devil's advocate question, but hopefully I could be your foil here to, you know, why do that comparison? You know, why not compare apples to apples rather than apples to oranges?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm going to answer that question. So, before I do that, uh, what I'm going to say that, right, in terms of storage industry, if you look at it, you know, all the way from, you know, slow SATA drives to, you know, fiber channel drives to SAS drives, right, there is a trend there. And the the reason for the trend is, your now your applications, um, you know, uh, require more performance, right? And that's why you see that you know the trend in faster, better disks, right? Um, so that is one trend that's that's um, that's happening, right? And the current tra- uh, trend is that take the same thing, uh, move from a spinning disk to flash, right? Now that's a trend. Um, that's that that is happening. That's going to happen. That has happened in other part of uh, you know in technology, right? Um, so that's that's what I'm I want to say. Um, but now coming to flash versus you know hard disk, I think we talked about it. And this this slide actually gives you perspective of what flash can do for you, right? In terms of consolidation, I'm not going to talk too much about the slide. But going back to your question about uh, comparing it to uh, other flash vendors, and I have two slides about <coughs> what I can say that, while in memory, because um, we started with this DNA of low-latency DRAM access, mm. right, uh, we have actually kept the technology while creating our flash storage as well. Um, so that's one aspect that, that you, need, you need to know, and I'm, I'm going to talk more about in the in couple of slides. And the other thing is that we build our system from scratch. And I'll tell you why that that uh, important also. For example, uh, we talk about sustained latency, right? In terms of uh, um, so I, I you know a flash flash is about obviously random access um, now, but but it, it's also about how do you keep that random access sustained over long period of time. Um, so those are some of the things that we do differently from others in the industry. Uh, because we actually do everything ourselves, including the flash modules um, and i 'm going okay. to it um and and hopefully I can answer your question uh more extensively in those slides if you uh
0: okay
1: find with it. Um, now moving on right so um in, in fact actually, we are now moving to the technology behind and why we 're different um so now this is a box, this is a violin box, this is how it looks. Um, uh, this is a 3U box, um, and all of our products, um, which I'm going to talk later, are 3U. Um, what it can, what it can de- deliver is the performance density. One million IOPS in this 3U, right? I mean, I'm talking about one of the fully populated SLC box here, right? And it's a- also about low latency, right? Um, sub-millisecond, even at high uh, workload and we use the word for engineered for flash and I'll tell you why that is that is important in next set of slides here. Now if you actually open the system, this is how it looks like. Um, uh, just, to, just, to, just to look at a little more closer, um, we use traditional tier one storage, for example you know, EMC VMAX or HDS VSP based, you know, top, top end system. Typically, you come up with you, you have what we call controllers, and we call them memory gateways, and we have two of them uh, to give this, um, you know, availability um, of access. So you still have access to your data, um, and and then the way we have cre- developed this is all the components that you can see here are all hot swappable, right, including the controllers and even uh, the flash modules. Now we call our flash modules WIMs, while in intelligent memory modules, as in DIMs, in memory, right? Ah. Um, right. That's that's uh, that's that's in term there, right? Now the core of this architecture is what we call the memory fabric, which which uh, switch memory fabric, which actually connects these um, modules that are you know that are out there you know connected, uh, and they're connected to the memory gateways. Now, in between them, uh, what we have is array controller modules, which are RAID controllers. Now, we build our RAID ourselves. We don't use off-the-shelf. Now, everything everything you can see here is built by Violin, designed by Violin, And that's what we call this engineer for Flash. We understand Flash so much that we decided all... All the modules that can actually interface with the flash need special treatment, special design to keep the random access to the flash and the latency characteristic of this flash to the max right um, so that's that's about it in, you know in, in, it, it's about, it's about the memory fabric. it's about building all the systems ourselves to keep uh, the, the 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 you know the value of flash, what it brings. In terms of storage, intact uh, for less, right?
0: So, can I ask? Was, was it the case that sort of generic RAID controllers just wouldn't wouldn't work with the, the VIMs that you needed to create your own um, uh, controllers and modules in order to get the most out of the system? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's that's
1: what we believe, and that that's what we have proved or, proved also, right? For example, what's the right RAID level for flash, right? Um, now, raid level typically you decide based on what's your reliability requirement, what's your performance requirement. Mm. Always that trade-off one has to make. The customer has to make. What we thought was in, instead of putting that problem on customer's hand, why don't we actually take that challenge and solve it for customer? Right? We built a raid algorithm which actually uh, gives a very nice balance between. Reliability and performance. Obviously, you know, performance is is, is the impor- important aspect of flash. But in our case, it's not just about performance. It's about creating, you know, the availability, the reliability, um, all the things that you need in a traditional, you know, storage system. So we picked a RAID logic that we wanted to use and take away this, you know, this 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 uh, issue of selecting the RAID level from a customer perspective. So that, that has boiled down to creating uh, a RAID logic, or RAID control ourselves. All right,
0: cool.
1: So um, now how do we make this flash consumable and not change your existing infrastructure? So we offer different kind of uh, you know, uh, access to storage. We use traditional fiber channel, 10 gig e for iSCSI. And some of the other things that are unique to violin is or InfiniBand, right, Um, and and then on top of that we also have PCI connectivity. It's as if you're connecting your box like a host-based PCIe card, but the difference aspect there is that you're connecting to a highly reliable available storage system, but you're accessing that storage, flash storage, obviously, or PCIe.
0: So it's like the PCI bus is being stretched out of the server onto, uh, onto the array.
1: Yes, that is true. So it shows up, our device shows up on, on your storage or operating system as a block device. And operating system can use it as though it's a local flash. All right,
0: wow, God. Yeah,
1: so, um, so uh, and then like I said, it's a fully redundant system, everything hot swappable. Um, so, uh, so so I know it is it is about performance, but it's also about reliability, availability and all that, right?
0: Can I ask, you know, you can have LUNs on this thing just like you would on, on any array. Do customers tend to make one big LUN and, and make the whole lot addressable? Or do they still sort of segment the, the array up into different LUN sizes?
1: So when it comes to consuming while in, it is consumed like any other flash storage. Um, it's all about um, what customer wants. For example, in virtualization, uh, typically uh, customers have, you know, one to two or three terabyte LUNs that they hand, hand over to virtualization admins and they consume. Uh, that, is, that is the case with Violin as well. Um, if, you know, so, and we wanted to keep that, uh, that, you know, that process intact by offering, you know, LUN, LUN management and all that
0: because some storage vendors the newer players are just creating one big data store per per array and I guess that would be quite foreign to conventional storage admins who are used to creating luns and masking and presenting to the right service the right the right sized lun for the for the workload yep
1: exactly exactly it it does not um, it, it, it it does not matter for us for example you create one lun you can get all the performance that you have in the on, on the box like this um, this slide shows right. Sure. Um, now, now um, just just this this slide is exactly you know what the previous slide, but purely around showing what's the difference right. For example, um, now like I said, we have our WIMPs, while in memory uh, intelligent memory modules. The WIMPs are connected to four, what we call V RAID. V RAID is uh, you know while in memory RAID system. V RAID controller modules right. And then those controller modules, or RAID modules, are connected to memory gateway, which are your traditional storage processors, right? And they connect to this memory fabric that we have, uh, which uses PCIe in the background, but we have our own proprietary channels, which go from memory gateway to VCM to, uh, you know, the flash modules themselves. Um, now, some of the interesting th- things we do, and and this is where I'm, I'm going back to your question, how we are different, and we have seen some difference already, but in terms of flash management, right? Now, flash, if you if you if you know about flash, there are two things that one needs to know about flash, right? Um, it is about um, what we call write endurance. You can write only so many times to a cell or a block in 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 in, in, a, in a flash, right? Uh, Which which means that your Flash management layer has to be very smart enough to extend that, right? That's number one. Number two, in Flash, you cannot write to the same block again and again unless you actually reclaim it, right? For reclaiming a block, there's something called erase. That needs to happen before you actually write to that block again. the interesting thing about arrays is it's actually a very expensive operation. It's about 100 times more expensive than a read or a write operation on a flash media, which also means that if an array cycle happens, your read or write are blocked you know, behind the array cycle, which impacts I.O. latency, right? What we have done is we have created patented algorithms where these array cycles are never in front of a reader write cycle. Um, now, that goes back to how we actually design the RAID algorithm, RAID logic, and because we take this, um, you know, pay, take take incoming I.O. and then spread it across all the available Flash modules, what we typically call wide spreading in storage industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because all the... So, and, and then the other thing I was talking about garbage collection, which is the array cycle, which is purely hardware based. Now this, is the difference between, you know, creating your own or what, uh, traditional, the, you know, all flash arrays that, that you see in the market is, um, most of them use what we call SSDs, right. And, 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 uh, just to give you a perspective on what SSD is, SSD is a way to consume flash not the best way to consume flash now ssds were created to con- make the consumption of flash more readily available because ssd use the same factor as hdd right which also means that it does have some of the characteristic characteristic of your hard disk system because of the form factor and um, some of the technology used there right now if you build a system with ssds it does with those limitations And also, you are somewhat restricted in terms of what you want to do in terms of flash optimization. The stuff I talked about, how you handle um, your array cycle, how you handle, how you uh, extend life of a cell in a flash, right? Mm. So all these things make, you know, while in memory uh, system more unique in terms of what we can do from a performance perspective and fully utilize or I would say exploit what Flash can provide you, and I'm going to stop there. Sorry, if you have a question for me.
0: No, I I think that's fine. That's uh, that that makes sense to me.
1: Okay, um, I did actually talk about this unique um, you know f- m- memory modules that we uh, we use um, as 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 our Flash modules. Um, like I said, we call them uh, WIMS. We create this, we design them, and they're different uh, from Traditional SSDs. Now we actually source our flash chips from Toshiba. Toshiba happens to be inventor of flash, and they also happens to be one of our investors. Ah. Uh, we ha- yes, we have access to you know Toshiba technology, and we work with them very closely. Um, so we take Toshiba chips and create these flash modules, and which which is, which is actually a, I would say building block of you know our storage system.
0: Are these uh, manufactured in the U.S. or are they manufactured uh, outside of the U.S.?
1: They're manufactured in the U.S. right here, in wow. Silicon Um that's, that's, that's
0: quite unusual in this day and age where, you know, normally the design would be in the U.S., but the manufacturer would be shipped out overseas to, to reduce manufacturing costs. So I kind of like the fact that it's made in the U.S. because just like here in the U.K., it's like, a lot of our manufacturing and engineering has been offshored so it's nice to know that we can still make something <laughs> and actually physically make it rather than be dependent on manufacturing uh, capabilities outside of the country
1: absolutely so because we design there's uh, some proprietary uh, flash design in terms of how we handle endurance and you know um, the garbage collection we want to keep everything close to home so <laughs>
0: Yes, that's sometimes a danger when your uh, manufacturing base is not, not in uh, your terra firma and uh, information and intellectual property might not be as respected as it is in, in other nations.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So moving on, just just moving to the next slide. So what does this give us? Somebody can ask us oh, why you do this. You know, yes, I understand flash endurance aspect. You can create your own proprietary algorithm. But the biggest point, point about this is about latency. And we talked about um, in, in one of the slides, I'm going to talk more. We can deliver sub-millisecond las- latency even at, uh, you, know, high, you know, high workloads, right? Um, there is this concept which the industry is starting to adopt or, you know, um, you know starting from um, Oracle CEO, it's a concept called memory, in-memory computing. There are databases which are in memory. Yeah. So uh, from while in perspective, we actually embrace that very well, right? Um, but in order to make you know flash consumable today, we have a fiber channel access. But if if um, if you far forward, you know, ten mm-hmm. years from now, at least what we think would happen is you could actually um, your application would be ra- running, uh, you know, um, would be running. Everything in flash now, why not memory? Now we all know that memory is expensive, and we think that flash can solve that problem from a price performance perspective. Flash can provide you know close to memory performance, not not what memory gives, but good enough that for applications to perform much much better than um, the traditional storage system um, so and but at a very low low cost than memory right mm. so that about that right um, now now moving on I talked about this low latency aspect of um, aspect of violent storage um let's spend some time around what is latency what it what it what impact it has on the application now um, there is two con- two aspects of cpu CP- cpu idles cpu waits. now cpu when cpu idles that cpu time can be actually shared with other applications or other machine that is running on that uh, on that system, but it wait CPU cycle cannot be shared with any anybody else. Which means that that I/O waiting that wait wait uh, CPU weight is now essentially wasted. Right now, that's the impact has a uh, 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 high latency storage has on the CPU. Right, CPU is, is wasted. Now, if you reduce that latency, your CPU can now more efficient in terms of utilizing all the CPU cycles available. Now, this is a great, great story for virtualization, right? So, for example, VMware is all about server consolidation. You know, putting more stuff, more VMs on a on, on a storage system or the server system, right? Now, if you can reduce the latency. Think about the impact. You can actually put more VMs on a server, meaning you could have more VMs per core of a server system. Uh, so that, that is the impact of the lower latency storage gives to virtualization as well. Because, uh,
0: because some people might say that this sort of level of IOPS is uh, a niche. You know, it's for uh, VMs that are particularly uh, very large or very very intensive, but are you suggesting that this um, this level of IOPS um, can go more mainstream than just being a niche or a, a kind of uh, point solution for a particular IOPS pain point? Is that is that what you're what you're thinking?
1: Absolutely. So that's exactly what I'm, I'm I'm saying here, right? You can consolidate more VMs per server, which means that it reduces your CPU server counts. Right for for a given deployment, mm. um, it 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 also about your software licensing costs, and I'll tell you with the next slide. Right, so if you have impact um, around if you can run more VMs per per um, you know per uh, server per core, you can a- reduce number of servers you needed for you know certain number of VMs. Right, so now you can run more VMs per CPU and also because you have low latency storage, you can actually now have less memory or uh, provide have more or less memory for a VM, right? So it's about reducing the infrastructure needed for a a VM, which means that now you can increase the consolidation ratio from a VMware infrastructure perspective.
0: Mm. I sort of see it like a seesaw effect that as you lower the latency on one part, what that means is that you can increase the consolidation ratio Elsewhere, is that the way I should look at it? Like a seesaw effect?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, latency is reduced. Sto- I/O latency is reduced. So you, you can run more VMs of CPU, and now you can have more VMs per you know physical uh, physical server. Uh, so it's about consolidation on the, on on the on the storage side, and also consolidation on the you know on the on the server side. So in the end it's about you know reducing costs I think you had an, made an interesting point what is one million why do you need one million iops So the point is it is not about one million iops it's about density performance density how much more EAMs you can put on a terabyte in today's world you actually take you know um, you you take gigabytes but you put more gigabyte you all provision your 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 storage system because a gigabyte of um, storage cannot ha- cannot handle so much of VMs, you know, when we compare to uh, a flash storage like while in memory.
0: I guess the way that some people have that is is that these sorts of things. I mean, the very kind of work that we've done with the the RDMS and VMFS. That's a kind of internal mis- myth busting, if you like. But our industry is kind of typified by people. You know, One vendor's done X, then six months later we're faster than them, six months later they're faster than them. And I think sometimes people find that a little bit alienated because they start to get to these kind of numbers which they would say that they don't see in the real world. I mean, the way I've sometimes looked at it is part of the the role of uh, benchmarking, I think, and, and seeing what the hypervisor is capable against if you sort of remove the roadblock out of the way, is trying to convince people that virtualization in this decade is about virtualizing tier one applications. It is about virtualizing stuff that previously people would suck their teeth and go, oh, well, it's a braver man, you know, that, that decides to virtualize that. And I think in some respects, even though it can turn into a what I sometimes call a pissing contest, you know, who's got the fastest system. If the psychological effect is that people begin to think that anything is virtualizable, I don't know if that's a word, it is now, then that it, it has a greater good for the whole of our industry that we're taking away these potential barriers.
1: Absolutely, Mike. So what we what uh, VMware has done is an amazing impact on how people look at infrastructure, right? People now look at what is my, in uh, you know, a cost per tile in a data center, right? People use those metrics. These are all possible because of the consolidation on the server side. Mm. Flash is going to do the similar Im, similar impact on the storage side, right? Now we look at what you need, like per, what is a number of VMs per terabyte, right? That you know this is this is around using capacity, but more on performance as well, right? Mm. Uh, so so I, I think where we are today, um, where we think, while thinks that all the active data in a data center would move to flash right at some point um, now the question is how soon um, that's where companies like Wylin come into play by providing this um, at a price performance uh, metric that is very very attractive to our customers um, so 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 it is it is about making flash adoption um, and and customers see that and you know par- podcasts like this I think it's, it's about educate, educating and what is possible out there right um, the, to, to me, that's more important than the one, one million IOPS that, you know, while in part of with with, with uh, you know, VMware or, v- or vSphere, but it's about what is, what's the customer value out of this? It is about reducing the physical, co- physical infrastructure costs. It's about simplifying the, you know, infrastructure management. It's also about improving your business processes, your business matrix, all that.
0: I think one of, the, one of the things that came up at the London User Group the other day, we were talking about virtual desktops and the, the whole, is this the year of the virtual desktop, which has been a kind of ongoing debate within the community. And I said to people, nobody ever said, is this going to be the year of server virtualization? Year on year, more server virtualization occurred and then it went more and more mainstream over the previous decade. Uh, nobody expects technologies to be introduced one year and then... be mainstream the next it does take time to accrue and and then saturate so i'm hoping there'll be no um, will this be the year of the flash array because it shouldn't really be viewed that way it's it's a direction of travel that is inevitable but it's not something that arrives you know tomorrow afternoon as everybody is using flash Disk is going to still be around for for some time just like physical servers are still around in a lot of people's environments and it's not like we expect these things to happen magically, but it's the direction of travel which I think is where the trends are going and where the long-term trends are going to be is, is certainly in that direction.
1: Absolutely, the disk, disk is going to stay, but disk has its own use case, um, in, in in my opinion. It's not going to go away, but use case. For example, tape is still being used for archival data. Mm. Uh, so you could think that, you know, this could be future tape, right? And, and then flash takes over what disk history, especially the high-end disk um, is. Uh, so great, great conversation there. Just to move, move on, right? Um, uh, this, is, this, this slide talks about what while in memory products are. So we actually segment our products uh, into two buckets. One um, using SLC flash, single, um, you know, single cell. Uh, single layer cell, and then second is multi layer. So obviously, MLC, the multi layer, is about capacity because you're actually putting more bits, two bits into a cell as opposed to one bit. So SLC is about you know performance. So we have two sets of uh, you know products, 6200s and 6600s. Um, typically, typically 6600s are used for uh, your low latency, high performance you know applications like um, databases. And, and, and I, I know that many of our customers, I would say some are joint customers, use uh, SLCs for virtualizing their um, you know, databases. Now, when it comes to traditional virtualization, um, uh, our sweet spot is MLCs. Um, 6232 being the workhorse there, um, you know, um, we, we sell lots of them, right? Oh,
0: and why is that particular uh, array the one that seems to be popular amongst VMware customers? I mean, what what brings them to that array when when they have all these other choices that they could go for?
1: It's about uh, price performance, uh, Mike. Um, now, what this array has about thirty-two terabytes of raw capacity and gives decent five hundred k IOPS, um, which is which is much much manyfold higher than what your traditional hdd based system provides right so if you look at that you know combination um, you know this this stands out as a as a as a, as, as a system that can be used for large scale virtualization deployment
0: mm. okay
1: so um, and the last column here latency right and this is sub sub millisecond latency and that's something i think we talked you know over the course of this uh, podcast um, but you know, it's about sub-millisecond latency even at very high workloads, and that's a huge, huge thing when we talk about VDI or you know virtualizing your database applications. Okay. Now um, I'm going to go through some of the third-party validation that we did just to give you a perspective um, as to you know it's not just just about technology, but it's about some of the matrix that. Um, one of the third parties, um, you know, um, a, a, a group called ESG Enterprise Strategy Group that did last year, um, obviously using VSPFIo and Violin. Now, this slide it is actually, uh, you know, eye candy in terms of uh, number of facts uh, we have here. But the stuff I want to talk about, especially on the left graph, um, now the idea of this this uh, test was to, you know. Increase number of VMs and increase number, you know, IOPS essentially, right? Put put more IOPS that are possible uh, in this deployment, right? Um, if you look at this slide, uh, especially left graph, you see that the latency, the storage latency, held a pretty pretty uh, constant. So it's uh, so so. What what it what it tells you that using VSphere and Violin, um, you can scale up but your story latency your io latency can be still be sustained which is actually what you need when you are putting your business infrastructure on on um, when you virtualize your ticketing system or uh, reporting system or you know some kind of data analytics analytic system um, having this latency which is which is which is uh, low and sustained is important right and the next uh, graph on the right is about you know how much you can scale from a performance perspective purely IOPS, right? Um, I'm not going to talk about much about it because we've talked about it. What is uh, impact of having a lot of uh, IOPS? It's about consolidation. You can put more VMs per terabyte. Now moving on to using a similar infrastructure, but for different use case. In this case. Um, virtual desktops, again using VMware and um, violin. Now there are a couple of interesting points that come into play when you look at VDI. When you you deploy uh, let's say a 500 or 200 VDI generally you know you might be happy, right? But when you start scaling up your system that's where infrastructure becomes um, a bottleneck, especially storage. And this is one of the reasons Mike Um, why VDI adoption had been slow. Now, is this year of uh, VDI? We believe
0: so. (laughs) Oh, maybe the two are related then. The year of the VDI and the year of this uh, all Flash Array come together is one thing.
1: We hope that is the case. Hmm. And I'll tell you, um, especially when, when you're virtualizing, you know, desktop of, let's say, mine or yours, I would not actually move to virtual desktop unless I can put up my VDI um, uh, you know, quickly or the same as what I can do it with, with my physical desktop today. I can also access my application. If I open up my web browser or some PowerPoint presentation, it should open up similar to what it was, it is in my physical desktop, right? Mm-hmm. So it is about that. It's also about, you know, when we're talking about big company, we're talking about 2,000, 3,000, even 10,000 desktops, right? so combine these two keeping the user experience even at high scale and that is all about this these two uh, graphs right the boot times and application access times the idea was this was start low about you know 2000 or, or 1000 desktop and scale up to large number of desktop and see what um, some of the metrics were i mean this is this we are using um, the view Planner, the workload that VMware provides for you know VDI, mm-hmm. um, the matrix that that uh, that were essentially provided by the Planner, right? Um, so with this with this kind of uh, you know performance, this kind of uh, uh, scalability, we think this is the era of virtual desktop.
0: <laughs> well, I guess we'll have to see. It just seem to be an increasingly popular uh, way of doing things, and um... I think, although it started off from a quite a low base initially, I think there's increasing interest in virtual desktop, especially as more engineering is being done both on the VMware side and also with the storage partners to address this particular storage issue. You know, I mean, there was a discussion this week at the London uh, User Group about you know gotchas with v- uh, VDI, and of course the storage one came up, but quite rightly one of my colleagues, uh, Simon Long, said, you know, that itself is starting to become a bit of a, an urban myth of its own type because as we get improved storage arrays, the problem with storage and scalability and VDI is, is being addressed. But I guess the early days experience, you know, people start off with a proof of concept of 50 or 100 VMs, but as they try to scale it up, they start to rub up against the, the kind of IOPS challenges that you were pointing out. So take the IOPS challenges away, then maybe VDI adoption and scalability becomes much easier to address.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just to give you, um, uh, especially in UK, um, we recently had a customer called National Air Traffic Control. This is a public information. They virtualized their six thousand virtual desktop um, on YLIN. Uh and we have been part of uh, um, you know high scale in you know, a very uh, large scale VDI deployment over last year or so, and I can I can confidently say maybe this is the year of VDI. <laughs>
0: So, it looks like you have so, a virtual uh, center plugin by the looks of things. It looks like you've got a virtual center plugin by the looks of ab- things from
1: the screen grab. Absolutely, Mike. Um, so, this is our plugin. Um, um, what we have done is we have taken while in UI, which is actually very unique in terms of uh, what we present to the customer and bringing it to a virtual center. Uh, so it's it's about making the whole you know in, virtual infrastructure management simpler. It's a great concept from VMware, and we're just uh, being part of that uh, now. Um, uh, not not to spend too much time, on it, but time on it. But it's essentially showing what is important to the user: your performance, your uh, bandwidth consumption. It's about latency, um, and it also you know you can you can customize this the way uh, you want as well.
0: I think what's important about this is how traditionally these sorts of views would be seen by a storage person and you know a a VMware guy would never see it. And increasingly these tools are with these sorts of plugins. um, As a VMware administrator you're as expected to know as much about your storage and networking as you are about your ESX host and virtual center. And so trying to get away from these uh, different silos. But I'm, I'm keen not to use the phrase I always hate, which is a single pane of glass. I'm not going to use that phrase, otherwise i get bleaked myself on my own podcast. But I, you know, putting the kind of buzzwords to one side, I think it is important these plugins exist because the days of us having barriers between you see data in one thing and, and information elsewhere, that assists in troubleshooting when you've got a problem... Being able to quickly and easily see the different layers of your stack and realize that the, maybe the storage isn't the source of the problem, the problem lies elsewhere. It's fundamental to troubleshooting quickly. I think.
1: Absolutely, that's uh, that's how we have designed it, and and the key point you highlighted is that this should be consumable from a virtual infrastructure admin perspective. Yeah. So we've fit this such a way that you can actually get that information from a virtual machine perspective hey what's uh, what's going on with the, this data store and I have these virtual machines can I get to the bottom of this um, so it, it is around answering those questions right um, so that's where it this this integration comes into uh, comes into picture I guess yeah um, so this is uh, this is my last slide um, um, you know obviously we VMware to, uh, to make us part of this uh, this uh, testing, and we'll probably do more uh, in coming days. Um, but just want to highlight that for us, it's about accelerating virtualization, like what VMware's goal is about, virtualizing whole data center. Um, um, with, with, with existing storage infrastructure based on HDDs, I think that dream maybe you know maybe may not be possible, but flash coming into the storage industry uh, and vendors creating interesting solutions like while in memory, I think I think that that dream of virtualizing you know 100% of your data center will become a reality very soon, and we are very happy to be part of that journey. Um, so, uh, again, uh, this is great. This is about virtualizing. This is about virtualizing your b- business critical application. And also, like I said, it's also about increasing your consolidation ratios to bring cost of virtualization.
0: Sure. Well, thank you very much for agreeing to be on the uh, podcast today. It, it's interesting. I, I think, uh, you know, when I'm coming to the U.S. in a couple of, uh, a couple of months' time, I'm relocating to Silicon Valley. And I... It's such a hotbed of innovation uh, for our industry. I can't wait to be in the middle of it all. But uh, hopefully I can pop up on the Caltrain and uh, come along and see your, your, your lab environments and see what you're up to. It'd be really nice to actually see it at the source rather than through the power of WebEx, which is what I'm stuck with at the moment. Oh, we'll be happy to host you any day,
1: Mike. Just let us know. We'll be happy to show what we have, uh, what kind of innovation that we do at Wiley Memory. Sure.
0: And then I'll have to see whether I can try and uh, scam our array off you for my home lab. Only joking. It's <laughs> every, every blogger's dream to, uh, to try and get uh, a solid state array in their home lab, but I think it's perhaps a bit beyond their price range. But thanks very much for your time today.
1: Thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks a lot uh, for including me in this podcast.